Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Journal Podcasts, in conversation. Hi, and welcome to the September edition of the EVJ Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon Morgan. Today we're joined by Parminda Bazran, who is an Associate Research Professor and Medical Physicist at Cornell University, College of Veterinary Medicine. He joins us to discuss his recent paper titled a radiomics platform for computing imaging features from micro-CT images of thoroughbred racehorse proximal sesamoid bones, benchmark performance and evaluation. Parminda, thank you very much for joining us on the EVJ um, podcast this month um, with a very interesting paper for us. Can I start by asking you to give us a brief introduction um, into radiomics? Sure. Um... Thanks for the invitation, and I'm really excited to be on the podcast, so so thanks for that. Um, So question, what is radiomics? Well, in short, radiomics is the idea that images are more than just pictures, they're data. And moreover, it's complex multidimensional data which have features that can be quantified. I I like to think of it as being a digital biopsy based on medical images. And so They're similar in nature to the approaches of things like genomics and proteomics and metabolomics and other omics fields. But the difference is that with genomics and proteomics, they derive from biospecimens. In other words, um, genomics or metabolomics provide measurements of a biomarker from a physical specimen. Radiomics, on the other hand, are features from a biosignal. In radiomics, the biosignal is a medical image. And in our paper, that image is micro-CT images. There's basically four steps in the radiomics approach. There's the image collection, the image acquisition uh, step. There's an image segmentation to create a region of interest where one is doing the digital biopsy. And then there's a feature calculation where you uh, run a series of algorithms to calculate features within that region of interest. And then there's the interpretation of the features to potentially use for model generation. And these are the steps that we would generally call as being supervised machine learning via radiomics. I hope that sort of outlines what that is. (laughs) So could you tell us a bit about how it's been used in the human um, and less so in the veterinary field so far? Yeah, so it's been used extensively in human medicine with uh, those medical images being CT images, MRI images, PET images and other imaging modalities. And they've been used for classifying benign from malignant cancers, predicting survivals from therapies, and the more recent exciting application in theragnostics or measuring the response uh, during the course of treatment or therapy. The whole field of radiomics and deep learning, these are two sort of machine learning approaches, um, have been used with medical images for deployment in artificial intelligence methods. So, So there's a very... There's a large amount of literature in, that explores the use and the implementation of deep learning and radiomics in, in, in human healthcare. In veterinary medicine, there's only been a handful of deep learning studies that have been published and even fewer radiomic studies, but, but, I, but I, I suspect this will be emerging. Some examples of deep learning in veterinary medicine include classifying in the anatomy and canine radiographs. Uh, these are using 2D X-ray images. Uh, they've also been used in classifying uh, meningiomas from gliomas in, in dogs. Excuse me. There have been a few applications of non-medical imaging AI in veterinary medicine, such as text-based analysis of chart data to classify 
inflammatory bowel disease from lymphomas uh, in feline GI cancers. So to date, there's a lot of interest in several abstracts, but, but not a lot of published data in the use of radiomics in veterinary medicine. Um, and in this study, or in this paper, um, it's being discussed with respect to applying it um, to the thoroughbred racehorse in order to potentially screen for catastrophic fractures. Could you um, give us a little insight into that respect? Sure. Uh, so there is some evidence in the past that selected or heightened biomarkers may be correlated with the risk of catastrophic injury in racehorses. And we also know that catastrophic injuries often stem from these proximal sesamoid bone fractures or PSBs. So Dr. Heidi Uresink here at Cornell studied these connections, or study, she's studying these connections extensively. And, and so I was looking to test out some data to test uh, my radiomics platform. In her earlier publication, her team explored whether micro-CTs of intact PSBs uh, have imaging features which differ in racehorses uh, who suffered catastrophic injuries with those who did not. And they were able to demonstrate that there are indeed imaging features that are different in cases in controlled PSBs, primarily the width of the sesamoid and a feature called bone volume fraction. And, and I can describe what that is later. Um, they also found that these two features, uh, width and bone volume fraction, could be used to model, uh, to predict fracture. But we found that, you know, it's challenging to deploy this kind of model in clinical practice. First, the, the micro-CT data itself is ex vivo, where the PSBs were harvested from horses, so it's not possible to adopt this approach in the field. And second, which is more along the lines of my expertise, is that using image biomarkers for modeling has a great number of technical challenges for historical purposes, the whole idea of computer-aided diagnosis or CAD tools were developed in radiology decades ago, and they showed a lot of promising results where computer predictions from image biomarkers would exceed the abilities of, of human radiologists. But deploying these CAD tools in practice failed for a number of reasons. Many of these systems were developed in single institutions with small data sets, and and small in this case is something, anything that's 100 or less. And so when these software packages were deployed in different environments, they were not successful. Why? Well, more, more specifically, the imaging technology can vary significantly between institutions. And so the image data used in the model is not the same as the data used in the application. And also there's different flavors of software and code and platforms that can introduce errors. In fact, there have been several studies where someone develops an algorithm, sends it in the data to another institution for them to calculate the image biomarkers, and the corresponding the results are significantly different. And finally, there was no standardized way to verify the CAD systems behave the way you expect. So these packages are often black boxes where one doesn't really know how to test the performance of the CAD system. In other words, they were not interpretable. So there was a clear need to standardize the way uh, to compute these image biomarkers. So our thinking in Cornell is that if we do explore or adopt machine learning systems to predict something like racehorse injury through the use of image biomarkers, the software and the platform must be robust and must be interpretable. So when using radiomic approaches, with, when you use these radiomic approaches with standardized algorithms, uh, things that have been referenced in the literature, uh, things that you can test independently, you can inch towards a more robust and interpretable platform. 
And so for us, this is a critical first step in, in creating a machine learning model. So we investigated uh, the benchmark and benchmark performance of our platform, where we analyzed um, micro CT scan data of PSBs from racehorses in an earlier study. Um, so what were your particular aims and hypotheses um, for this study? Um, our aim was to develop a radiomics platform that allows the comparison of features from micro-CT images of PSBs in horses that sustained catastrophic fractures with horses that did not. And secondly, um, our aim was to compare features calculated with radiomic approaches with features calculated uh, in the previous study that used quantitative CT in the same specimens. Um, in terms of higher hypotheses, we hypothesized that the, the features calculated um, from the micro-CTs of PSBs in that earlier study would correlate with matching or comparable features that we would, could compute through radiomics. And we also hypothesized that the difference in radiomic features in our case of controls um, could be reproduced. And, and we finally hypothesized that because these, this radiomic approach can generate literally hundreds of different image biomarkers that there, there could be other biomarkers um, that are, which are undetectable with the naked eye that could be used for, for frac uh, risk um, in a decision support um, tool for predicting catastrophic risk. So how did you use radiomics to characterize the case and control PSBs in this study? Um, <clears throat> the first and most important step was to benchmark the, the, the performance of the system itself. And so this required us to uh, access referenceable CT scans and image data and code um, and then recompute radiomic uh, features uh, and compare them against other international published um, standards. And so this was the first step, um, benchmarking the performance of the, of the platform. Um, so you download data sets, uh, you download code, and, and, um, and then you compute and you compare it against others. And so we were able to determine that we have a, a pretty reliable uh, platform. Once that was done, we then uh, processed the previously acquired micro-CT data for radiomics analysis. And as I mentioned earlier, there are four basic steps. You, you acquire the image, you segment uh, within that image, you do a feature calculation, and then you analyze um, those features. So the first step of that image acquisition is easy because we already have the CT data. Uh, the second step was the segmentation or creating that region of interest. And so we decided to use an unsupervised uh, region growing algorithm, which required very little intervention. In other words, uh, we didn't want to have to contour um, these, these structures. Um, so we went through that process. And then third, we computed about 215 radiomic features from that region of interest. Things that varied for very simple things like the, the average CT number, the volume, to much more complex features like, like entropy scores and, and, uh, and, and run lengths uh, and, and, and all sorts of interesting mathematical features that would be very difficult to, to, to understand with or to be able to detect with the human eye. We um, you also tested a variety of calculation settings. Um, so it's, it's kind of like your, your lab and you want to play with different parameters and see how, um, how, what, how different your outcomes might be if you change different ingredients in, in the recipe of your calculation. The, the fourth step 
is the feature selection or determining what features could be used for modeling. And so in, in what we did in our study is that we, we simply computed the averages of the features in the cases and the controls and performed simple t-test for significance as was done when the original Presswell study. We also explored the relationship between analogous image features um, that were computed in the initial study with those computed in radiomics. And then finally, we looked to see how many additional features um, in the cases and controls were statistically different within those 250 features that we calculated. We also um, lumped those 250 features um, into 12 feature classes and looked at the relative percentage of features uh, within those classes that, were, that, that showed statistical differences um, between the cases and controls. So moving on to look at the differences between your control PSBs and the PSBs um, from horses that had undergone catastrophic proximal sesamoid bone fracture, they were from the contralateral limb, the ones that you were mm -hmm. studying, is that correct? That's um, correct, yeah. You found the volume of the um, PSBs to be significantly different. Could you um, describe what's meant by volume in this study? and why you think the volume was found to be significantly different. Sure. Um, the volume in this sense just refers to the physical displacement of the PSB bone in cubic centimeters. So it's really just a, a calculation of the number of voxels within that region of interest. Um, why are the case and controls uh, volumes different? Well, there's a an increased bone or total bone plus uh, tissue volume and fractured bones seem to be consistent in post-mortem studies that reported an increase in bone or total bone plus tissue volume. So we somewhat anticipated this result of the volumes being different in the contralateral PSPs. Um, but another interesting thing that we observed was that the method by which the volumes were calculated uh, can be can be off. And so when we calculated the volumes with the PSBs, um, we found that our volumes were 5% higher than what was reported in the original study. And this kind of just goes to the, the whole notion that um, the details matter when you do radiomic calculations. Um, what we when we dug a little deeper into what was going on and what to explain the 5% difference in volume, what we found was that the original segmentation or contouring that was used um, for that earlier study had small pockets of air volumes inside them, and uh, which would be very difficult uh, to detect unless you were to go through every single image um, to, to look for these small pockets of air. So again, this just points to the, the need for consistency in, in the way you calculate these features um, when you're deploying some kind of model. Um, I hope that explains um, the, 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 the issues with the volume and how they, how they how we, we pretty much just expected those uh, differences to be there in our data sets. So what other characteristics um, were found to be significantly different between the two groups? So we knew that the PSB widths are also different in the case controls. So now, width is kind of a, a funny variable because you need a frame of reference or a coordinate system to, to measure a width of something. 
a good or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it, with radiomics is that it doesn't really care about the frame of reference when computing a distance. Instead, it examines the 3D volume and decomposes it into three principal axes, irrespective of the coordinate system that the images were acquired. So the width in the original Cresswell study from, from Dr. Reesing's lab best matches with the radiomic feature known as least axis. And what we found was that the case and control differences were reproducible with the least axis. So we observed a similar difference as we, would, as we did observe with the width. We also knew that there was another uh, feature called bone volume fraction, uh, which was different in the cases and controls in the, in the earlier study. So again, within radiomics, it doesn't explicitly calculate something like a bone volume fraction. So we, had to, we looked for comparable features. The bone volume fraction really is the ratio of the high-density bone volume to the total volume of that bone. So it's going to be sensitive to the threshold in which you define as being high density, or the Hounsfield unit you define to being high density. And if you think about that a little bit deeper, it amounts to the number of voxels above a threshold compared to the total number of voxels in that bone. The Cresswell study showed that the cases had higher bone volume fraction than the controls, or in other words, there were more voxels with high density beyond a threshold value in the cases versus the controls. In other words, you can think of this as there are more high intensity voxels in the cases than controls. So you would expect that the shape of the histogram, the, the voxel intensity histograms that you collect from the PSPs would demonstrate some differences. And indeed, we do see significant differences in the shape of the histograms the voxel intensity histograms uh, between the cases and controls, such as the spread in the shape of the histogram, the mean and standard deviation of the histogram, and, and several other features. Those were the ones that were, those were features that um, were published in the earlier report uh, that we were able to validate to some extent. And would these differences have been detectable um, with the human eye without the use of radiomics? Certainly, the, the, the previously computed features would. Um, those were mainly perceptible features or things that you could detect with the naked eye, but our findings revealed some interesting things. It suggested that well over 50% um, of the more complex feature families um, were able to detect differences between the cases and controls. So whereas in the previous Creswell study, there were maybe two or three image features in the case and controls that were different, with the radiomics approach, we observed literally a hundred features or so being different. So uh, there's a lot more differences um, when you look at the data um, and, and, and look at features which are imperceptible. Now, a reasonable question would be, well, are those hundred features independent of each other? Um, well, some of them may be redundant features where they represent somewhat of the same thing. In mathematics, we call these things being orthogonal or not. Um, but many of those features are indeed orthogonal. They are independent biomarkers that could be used for modeling purposes. And so that's the really exciting thing about what we found, is that there are many more features that are undetected with the human eye that could be used for modeling and potentially more powerful uh, predictors of uh, risk of fracture. How can you see this information being used in the future in a clinical setting? 
in the short term, it's not possible to use the results from our study in a vivo and in, in vivo in environment because we're using micro CT data on PSBs harvested from racehorses. But you can imagine the approach extended to an in vivo uh, like uh, scenario where you collect images of PSBs with conventional CT. So, uh, and thereafter, you could use the features from those images to to develop a model to to predict the risk of fractures. So, so this is a, an important stepping stone um, that you know we might be able to use um, information or the approach that we used with micro CT data analysis with conventional CT. So, what's next in this area of research? There's a, a lot of work. <laughs> uh, the, the next step is, is validating whether the radiomic features in the micro-CTs of these PSBs are related to the radiomic features that you would observe with conventional CT. And so we've, we've undertaken a variety of imaging tests with uh, a representative horse-like phantom on a, on, on a couple of different CTs to help quantify the errors. Uh, when you go from micro CT to to a conventional CT, and then if you were to take uh, a CT image on one scanner and then also do it on another scanner, there is going to be some errors. So we're going through that effort of, of figuring out what those errors are. This is an important step, which will allow us to confidently understand the potential and limitations of using uh, radiomic features in conventional CT if used in a decision support tool. Um, and so with some modifications to our existing platform, we're, going to, we're developing a pipeline for computing uh, radiomic features with conventional CT. We're also exploring uh, the whole, the idea that, um, well, the, the whole notion that you will, you can suffer motion artifacts if you use conventional CT. So you're, if you do scans uh, with a standing uh, leg um, scenario, for example, um, which might take uh, a second or two, there, there is a risk of, of motion artifacts, and so we're exploring, you know, how, how does that affect image quality, um, and how does that affect your um, radiomic values. Um, we also identify a need to validate our validate our approach. So we publish our code on, on GitHub, where anybody can access our code and, and give their data a go if, if they if they're so willing. Um, so. Future projects, what we hope to do is to continue sharing our, our research on GitHub. So we encourage collaboration uh, in building these tools, tools together. Um, and we're really excited about inching towards a paradigm where we can use uh, high throughput imaging techniques and machine learning for creating robust decision support tools and in, in mitigating that risk of catastrophic injuries in, in racehorses. Paul Mender, thank you for explaining a very complex topic to us. I hope I helped. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, this is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. So if you have other questions, um, read the paper and send me an email. I'll be more than happy to help. Fantastic. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening. And please join us for our next podcast. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Channel podcast. More about the subjects discussed today can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash evj.